Church, let's pray together. Our Father, we come before you and we ask for your spirit to open our eyes. Lord, this is your time. Uh, We humble ourselves before you. Uh, May your word speak to us, awaken us, draw us into life. Father, help us. We need you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. A couple of weeks ago, my neighbor uh, said, hey, we're moving and uh, we're not selling our house. And we think it's because we have a, a pool in the backyard. It's above ground pool. He said, do you want it? And uh, I said, oh, well, let me talk to my wife. So I talked to my wife and she said, absolutely not. No way. We are not getting a pool in our backyard. So I walked over and I told him, we'll take it. (laughs) And so we we brought it over. That's that's pretty much how it happened. Uh, Sometimes you just, I tell her 99% of the time she's right, but there is that 1%. There's that 1%. So we got the pool over our house and... And, uh, and we went to youth camp, and the kids went to uh, camp with Woodlawn last week. And uh, so uh, they were not around, and the deal was they, they had to care for the pool. And so they were not caring for the pool. And, uh, and Friday morning, we, we got up and noticed it, was, it started to turn green. Like, oh, man, what, what's going on here? If you got a pool, you know what's happening. Well, this is the first for me. I'm like, well, this is, this is nasty. This water's green. So by Friday night, this water is, is green water. I'm like, that's, that's yuck. So I began to research, of course, look up what do we have to do. And, and you have to be very careful because you have to balance your chemicals going in. And you have to put the right ones in because you've got to balance your pH before you can balance your, your chlorine stabilizer, before you can add more chlorine, before you can all this, this set of things you have to do. I'm proud to report to you that we have a blue pool again as of last night. Transformation. No one wants to swim in a green pool except Titus. No one wants to swim in a green pool. Transformation. And it didn't take long, but it took the right steps. It took the right care, and the pool went from green to blue. If you have your Bible today, I want to invite you to open up to 2 Chronicles. We're going to be working through about two chapters worth of 2 Chronicles 29 and chapter 30. Chapter 29 and 30, uh, a, a gem of a story. As you know, kings, good kings, bad kings throughout the nation of Israel. Uh, we have been walking through the entire Bible together. Uh, we have a graphic that we've looked at each week this morning that we'll show you. Uh, the, the grand story of the Bible is this. There is creation. There is the fall. There is a predicament that we are into because of the fall. God made everything for his glory. That creation that he made then rebelled against him and said, you gave us commands, we're going to do things our own way. So they chose to go the way Adam and Eve chose to go, a way different than from what God had given to them in the scriptures, in his command and his word. And so the fall happened, and there was a curse that was brought about from the fall. And we understand that 
that decisions have consequences. All of us understand that, right? You, you don't take care of your pool, you neglect it, it's going to turn green. Well, you don't listen to God, there's going to be punishment. And, and, but God does not leave us there. He does not leave us in the place that is under judgment and under wrath. He, he has worked all throughout history from Genesis chapter 3 on something we call the redemption or the, the plan of redemption. And he prophesied it in, in even the, the fall in Genesis chapter 3. We see it played out over and over. And that's been our job this year is looking at the redemptive plan that God is working all through the Old Testament to draw people from a broken green place into the crystal clear, blue, redemptive, reflecting Christ state. And that's that last phase we call the kingdom. And, and this is where you and I fit into this grand Bible story is that when he found us, we were in a place that needed transformation. We needed the right things to happen to us to bring us to a place where we were as we were intended to be. Not green and algified, but crystal clear, reflecting the glory of God. Well, we're going to look at, uh, at, at one of my favorite Old Testament characters. Uh, I asked my family last night, tell me about Hezekiah. Tell me about Hezekiah. Under the, then he's got a funny name. I don't know anybody in the room named Hezekiah, so I can say that, right? Tell me about Hezekiah. Do you know anything about Hezekiah? We know he, he was a king. Was he a good king or a bad king? Thumbs up or thumbs down? He was a good king. In fact, he was such a good king that he was probably second only to King David. Now, Hezekiah comes to an interesting, uh, interesting circumstance for Hezekiah. His, his father, you know anything about his father? His father was named, and I shared this with my family last night, his father was named Ahaz. You know anything about Ahaz? Not only was he a thumbs down, he was like a thumbs way down. Uh, he, he didn't even get buried where, where the kings were buried because he was so wicked that they didn't think like, feel like he was even deserved to be in the graveyard with the rest of the kings. That's what kind of king he was. Ahaz, Hezekiah, Manasseh. You know anything about Manasseh? That's his son. Hezekiah's son, Manasseh, you know anything about him? Uh, if, if Ahaz was buried in the, the graveyard next door to the, the king's graveyard, Manasseh would have been thrown in the ditch. Because he was worse than Ahaz and all of the others. And then when, when it goes to describe the rest of the kings, they say, but he did not, he wasn't as bad as Manasseh. Like this king was bad, but not like Manasseh. So sandwiched into these terrible kings, you've got Hezekiah, a, a, a beam of light, if you will. How does this come to be? Well, uh, let's, let's read the story and, and let's find out. Second Chronicles chapter 29. Hezekiah began to reign when he was 25 years old and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. So southern kingdom here. His mother's name was Abijah, the daughter of Zechariah. And he did what was what? He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that David, his father, had done. So he's already being compared with David here. 
in the first year of his reign, in the first month. So, in which year? First year. In what month? So this is first things first right here. What does he do? He opens the doors of what? The house of the Lord. Now, presumably what was wrong with the doors before the first year of the first month of Hezekiah? They were, they were closed. And we're going to find out some more details on that. He opens the doors of the house of the Lord and he does what? He repairs them. Now, just a few days and your pool will turn green. Imagine what happens over time with wicked king after wicked king and the doors of the house of the Lord being closed. What happens to the hearts of the people? Green, let's just say. Wicked. Ignoring God apart from what the the Spirit of God would do in a soul. And you've seen what God does when, when He moves on a soul. He transforms someone from someone who is worldly and consumed with themselves to someone who is godly and consumed with Christ. So this is a, a group of people who have been closed off from the Spirit of God and the, the work that God would have done in people's souls. He begins the repair. This is Hezekiah's heart. Verse 4, y'all with me? Y'all with me? He brought in the priest and the Levites and he assembled them on the square in the east. And he said to them, hear me, Levites. Now, who were the Levites? They were the, the servants of God, the priests of God. They were in charge of keeping track of the temple and keeping it the way it needed to run. Hear me, Levites. Now. Consecrate yourselves and consecrate the house of the Lord, the God of your fathers, and carry out what? The green, the algae, the crud. Carry out the filth that you find in this what? Holy place. You're walking into the house of God. This is not a place for filth. This is a holy place. Levites, it's your job. Consecrate yourself. Now, you know what that means. What does consecration mean? Set yourself apart. Purify yourselves. Get ready. We're going to transform. You know, today, millions of dollars are made by people watching HGTV. Any of you guys? Watching HGTV, flip this house, this old house, sell it or stay in it or whatever. Uh, Hundreds of different shows of how to flip a house. And they take this old, you know, shag carpet and and green countertops and they turn it into the, the new. And that's the big deal. I mean, they've got cities now in Texas. What's that city you go to, Abby? Magnolia. All about this. Yeah, that one. Uh, Transformation. Well, that didn't start on HGTV, y'all. It started right here in 2 Chronicles chapter 29, just letting you know. Transformation. Let's do it. Hezekiah wants to honor God, and he says, I'm going to begin day one at the house of God. This is where worship is going to happen. Spiritual reformation starts. 
Now, let me give you um, something to, to, to see here. Okay? So this is important. Spiritual transformation, it begins in Hezekiah's heart, but it doesn't stop there. It, it moves from his heart to his hands. It moves from his heart to his decrees. Set yourself apart. We're about to do clean house. It's not just that here's something I'd like to do one day. Hezekiah says, it's happening. And it's not just something that I want to be. It's something that's going to be. It doesn't just stay in his heart. It moves to his his hands. We sing a song in this church, give us clean hands, give us pure hearts. Psalm 24 talks about that. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. Let me talk to you for a minute today. If you have noticed some green in your spiritual life, if you've noticed a little bit of crud beginning to show up, some crust in your spiritual life, if you've noticed, if you step back and go, you know, I'm not where I need to be. I'm fading. You're here today for a reason because Hezekiah's got a path forward for you. It's not just, yeah, I want to love Jesus, but it's, I'm going to love Jesus. And this is going to happen. Let's keep going in our story. Y'all with me? All right. For our fathers, Hezekiah said, Watch what he does first. Watch what he says. For our fathers have been unfaithful and have done what is evil in the sight of the Lord our God. Our fathers, they have forsaken the Lord. They have turned their face from the habitation of the Lord, the temple. And they've turned their backs on the Lord. They've also shut the doors of the vestibule and put out the lamps, the light That is in the house of the Lord. They've not burned incense. They have not praised God. They've not offered burnt offerings. For cleansing to God. Verse 8. Therefore the wrath of the Lord. Came upon Judah. And Jerusalem. That's his city. And he has made them an object of horror. He's turned them. A deep shade of green. Of astonishment, of hissing. You can see it with your own eyes. It's abhorrent. For behold, our fathers have fallen by the sword, our sons and our daughters and our wives. They're in captivity for this. Now it is in my heart to make a covenant with the Lord. So here we go. If you notice the green, Here's where Hezekiah started. It's in my heart to make a covenant with the Lord. I'm going to commit myself unto God. The God of Israel in order that his fierce anger may turn away from us. Hezekiah has seen what it cost to abandon God. And he said, my heart is to say, Lord, I am yours. I've watched my dad. I know what it's like. Lord, I want to be right with you. And he starts in his heart, makes a covenant with God. Verse 11, my sons, do not now be negligent, 
For the Lord has chosen you to stand in his presence, to minister to him, and to be ministers and make offerings to him. It started in his heart, and it worked to his hands. And he starts to call all the people around him. We've got a job to do. We are going back to God. We're going to start the process from green to right. Today, if you're here... And you're wondering, how do I get back to God? It starts in your heart. It starts with your desires, in other words. It starts with, what does your heart love? Is there a love for God brewing in your heart that needs to begin to make itself to the work of your hands? This is what Christianity is. It's a transformation of you and your desires and your loves. Are you here today and maybe your love has waned or, or been drawn to other things and you've shut the door of the temple and you've, you've put out the light? This is where you come and say, Lord, I confess I've lived in a, an, a way that is not honoring to you. I've got to get it right. And that's what Hezekiah does. I've seen what's happened. I'm getting right with you. Men, let's make it happen. Levites, let's go. Now is the time. I'm confessing where I've been and I'm changing my direction. The neglect that brought me and turned me green, no longer. I'm going to do the spiritual effort and the work that's going to bring me to the purpose for which you've made me. Nobody wants to swim in a green pool because that's not what a pool is made for. Spiritual reformation begins in the heart and it follows up with a call to action. Are you willing to put the work in? Because that's, y'all, that's where our love is truly tested. And we have a definition for love around this church. I think some of y'all can help me out. Love is what? Wanting the best for someone and, and doing something about it. We know that definition. We've learned it together. Wanting the best for someone and doing. Wanting is that heart phase. Doing is that hand phase. Do you love God? Let's keep going. Verse 15. They gathered their brothers and they consecrated themselves and they went in as the king had commanded by the words of the Lord. To cleanse the house of the Lord. To purify their house. The priests went into the outer parts of the Lord out of the outer parts of the house of the Lord to cleanse it. And they brought out all the uncleanness and they found that they found in the temple of the Lord into the court of the house of the Lord. So they go in, they get all the unclean things. They bring it out into the outer courts and the Levites took it and carried it to the brook Kidron. They began to consecrate on the first day of the first month. And on the eighth day of the month, they came to the vestibule of the Lord. For eight days they consecrated the house of the Lord. And on the 16th day of the first month, they were finished. Then they went into Hezekiah, the king, and they said, We have cleansed all of the house of the Lord, the altar of burnt offerings, all its utensils, the table for the showbread, and all its utensils, and all the utensils that King Ahaz discarded in his reign when he was faithless. We have made ready and consecrated. And behold, 
they are before the altar of the Lord. It's cleanup time on aisle one. And they do it. They go in and they do the work of cleaning up. Teenagers, you guys went to camp last week. You raised your hands in worship. You made commitments and prayed prayers. It's cleanup time. You get back, you've got relationships that you have to deal with. You've got temptations at home. You've got to figure out how to get rid of. You've got work to do with attitudes towards people. That's the work. Your heart was right. You began to commit your heart to the Lord. And now it's, it's cleanup time. It's time for that work to take place. You're here today. You're saying, look, I've got to get back to the heart of God. I'm, I've, maybe I've, I've gone astray. It's cleanup time. And that's exactly what they're doing. They're consecrating and doing the work before God. Let's keep going. Verse 20. Then Hezekiah, the king, rose up and gathered the officials of the city and went to the house of the Lord. And they brought seven bulls, seven rams, seven lambs, seven male goats for a what? For a sin offering for the kingdom and for the sanctuary and for Judah. And he commanded the priests, the son of Aaron, to offer them on the altar of the Lord. So they slaughtered the bulls and the priests received the blood and threw it against the altar as commanded. And they slaughtered and they slaughtered the rams and the, their blood was thrown against the altar. They slaughtered the lambs. And their blood was thrown against the altar. Verse 23. Then the goats for the sin offering were brought to the king and the assembly. And they laid their hands on them. And the priests slaughtered them and made a sin offering with their blood on the altar to make atonement for all of Israel. For the king commanded that the burnt offering and the sin offering should be made for all of Israel. Now, uh, we don't do that today. Uh, I don't... Kill animals. Uh, I don't sling blood uh, because we don't have to do that. But the principle here is not much different than than what we we have to go through, and this is something that's important for us to understand. We are not ancient Israel today, but the principle here is that sin had to be dealt with. Do you, do you see that? It's not that that we have to do it the same way. As New Covenant believers, the Bible teaches us there is a, as Jeff read earlier, a new and living way that we have dealt with sin. And that new and living way is that Jesus Christ died on a cross. His blood was shed at the altar of God for us. But his blood is a once and for all blood. It's not that sin doesn't have to be dealt with. So what Hezekiah said was, look, there is sin and problem that has to be dealt with. That pool that was green and nasty, had I not dealt with the algae in the pool, it would have stayed green. Let me bring some clarity Some people have a desire to follow God. 
And that desire is in their heart and they say, yes, I want to follow God. I know that God is real and I know that I need to follow him. But they get to this phase where sin has to be dealt with. I said, well, but I don't know about Jesus. If I can, Jesus truly is who he said he was. And a lot of people stumble at that. Well, but there are a lot of paths to being right with God. The, the Buddhists have their path, the Muslims, the Mormons. Everybody has a path. They all lead to the top of the mountain. I'm just trying to get to the top of the mountain. The, the problem with that is that doesn't line up with what Christianity teaches. And, and if you are, have been around our church, you know that when we baptize somebody or when someone joins the church, we ask people to make the confession that Jesus Christ is the Lord. That Jesus Christ died on the cross for the sins, my sin. That Jesus Christ was dead and that he rose from the dead and that Jesus Christ is coming again. Those things are not compatible with the other religions. We profess that Jesus was the one to pay for our sin and to do the business with God and that his blood is sufficient. Amen, Christian? This is what we believe. And so to become a Christian, we have to believe those tenets and believe it's not the blood of, of bulls or a goat that saves us. It's the blood of Jesus. And it is exclusive. Hebrews chapter 10 says it like this, and I'll read it. Jeff read it earlier. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the what? blood of Jesus by the new and by the living way that he opened for us, not through the curtain that was fabric like the old covenant curtain, but through his flesh. The entrance, Jesus said, I'm the door. It's through the flesh of Jesus. We have a great high priest now. Verse 22 says, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance and faith with our hearts Sprinkled clean, consecrated with, from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with water. Jesus does all that for us. Amen and praise the Lord. Christian, you do not have to be perfect to be a Christian. You have to be in Christ. You have to believe. You have to love God with all of your heart. That is what Christianity is. Now, yeah, we deal with sin. And yeah, we walk away from sin in our lives. No question. But it is not keeping ourselves from sin that makes us Christian. Let's keep going. A couple of other things. Verse 25. And he stationed the Levites in the house of the Lord with cymbals, harps, lyres, according to the commandment of David and Gad and the king's seer and of Nathan the prophet. For the commandment from the Lord was through his prophets. Verse 26. The Levites stood with the instruments of David and the priests and the trumpets. And Hezekiah commanded that the burnt offering be offered on the altar. And when he burnt the burnt offering, or when it began, the song to the Lord began also. The trumpets accompanied by the instruments of David, king of Israel. The whole assembly did what? They worshipped. And the singers did what? They sang, and the trumpeters did what? They sounded. And all this continued until the burnt offerings finished. When the offering was finished, the king and all who were present with him 
bowed themselves and they worshipped. And Hezekiah the king and the officials commanded the Levites to do what? Sing praises to the Lord with the words of David and Asaph the seer. And they sang praises with what? Gladness. And they bowed down and they worshiped. Spiritual transformation. Let's, let's review here. It begins with a work in your heart. We call this regeneration or being born again. It moves to our hands into that we're going to reform our lives. We're going to change things and now do things right. Let's open up the house of God. The next thing is sin is dealt with. We come to the place where we realize that Jesus is our Savior. And when we reflect on the fact that Jesus is our Savior, like here, there is worship that erupts from our soul. Show me someone that doesn't worship God, and I'll show you someone that is not a Christian. That's a bold statement. If you do not worship God then you do not know God. It is a necessary part of Christianity. Worship is the overflow of the Spirit of God and Him working in you. And and I'm not saying everybody looks the same as they worship. But if there's not an elevation of Jesus Christ and a sense in which we take Jesus and we say He is more worthy than this, that, or the other, There's evidence of a problem. And here's the problem. Jesus is not equal to to anyone else. I read it earlier. He is preeminent. That means he is before everything. And if we view Jesus as just something we add to our lives, that's not what Christianity is. If you find people in the Bible who come to faith in Jesus, when they meet him, they bow at his feet. They call him Lord, Master. They revere him. Jesus is not meant to be a peer with anything in our lives. He's meant to be elevated. He is our king. He is the Lord. And worship is the rightful overflow in us of the work the Spirit has begun in our heart that moved to our hands and now is moving into worship. Now look, I've sat by some of y'all. Some of y'all can't sing. I know that you might be saying that about me too. And that's okay because I know my limitations. Worship is not singing. It is one of the primary ways we express it in our church service today. But it is not limited to singing. Uh, When I go to camp with the teenagers, a lot of times I like to just listen in worship. And, you know, there are, it is overwhelming sometimes when you're surrounded by a room full of people singing and praising God. And sometimes I just like to hear it. And, and hear the truth of God being proclaimed. And it overflows and, and bubbles up in my soul. 
Yes, I affirm these things. Yes, Jesus is the Messiah. That's worship. Uh, probably everybody in the room here today has, has boiled water at some point, right? Macaroni and cheese time. Let's get those noodles. Let's get them ready. Easy Mac, drop it in there. What happens? What happens? At least uh, when I was younger, I would, I would try to fill the pot all the way up with water because, you know, that's what you do. And then you start to boil it. And what would happen? You got it. It becomes hot. Thank you, Panda. It becomes hot. And then because it gets hot and it starts boiling, it puts the fire out that's under the pot because it's boiled over. Y'all think about it. Worship is when the heat is applied in your soul and it begins to move you and shake you and get you to a place to where when songs are going, you sing or when Work is being done. You work. Worship is a service unto God. And whether it's serving people, singing to people, reading scripture, uh, thinking of, of the truths and meditating on it, that's worship. Worship is a necessary byproduct of the spirit of God moving in you. All right. Oh, let me give you the highlights. I can't finish reading. We're, we're running out of time. I can't finish reading all of this. I want to give you a couple of highlights of the rest of these two chapters and ask, look, study the rest of this in verses 31 through 36. There are so many offerings by the people that they don't have enough priests to kill all the offerings. The, the heart of, of God's people, when they saw the church opened, uh, they couldn't handle it. Verse 34 says this, The priests were too few and could not flay all of the burnt offerings until other priests had consecrated themselves, prepared themselves to serve. The, there was such an outpouring of giving to God because His name was being exalted. Worship was happening. The, God's name was where it needed to rightly be on the top of people's list. People gave generously. Look, y'all, there are people in our church who have come to me and said, look, I want to give to help this purpose. We have people every month who give to pay for y'all's camp. Y'all know that, right? We have people every month in this church who say, I want to give so that youth can go to camp. We have people who give faithfully. To certain ministries in this church because they want to give. This is the heart of what Christianity is. It is an overflow. Like I said, it begins in the heart and it turns into the work of the hands. This is, this is what happens. Let me keep going. They celebrate the first Passover in the lifetime and probably several lives. In the next chapter... It, the prayer is this at Passover in verse 6. And I know, Craig, you may not be able to keep up. O people of Israel, return to the Lord. Return to the God of Abraham, Isaac, Israel, that he may turn again to you. Let me say this and be very clear about this. When you turn to God, he receives you. 
There is not a sin that you could have committed or that you are committing where God will not forgive you or receive you into his presence through his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus is so great that he can forgive even the vilest of sinners. Your sin are probably not even as bad as the Apostle Paul who was killing other Christians. They're probably not that bad. Jesus saved Saul. He can save your soul. Come to Jesus. Be made right. Let me close uh, in verse uh, 21, Craig. This is the truth. Jesus saves sinners that repent. And he brings them great joy. Let's read this final section. And the people of Israel were present at Jerusalem. Who were present at Jerusalem? Kept the feast of the unleavened bread, which came right after Passover. For seven days with great what? Help me out, church. Y'all close it out strong with me. They kept the feast with great what? Gladness. And the Levites and the priests praised the Lord. How often? Day by day. Singing with what? All of their might to the Lord. This is so good. And Hezekiah spoke encouragingly to all the Levites who showed good skill in their service. In their worship to the Lord. So they ate food of the festival for seven days, which was how long the Feast of Unleavened Bread lasted. With sacrificing peace offerings, giving thanks to the Lord, the God of their father. If the story ended there, two thumbs up. They get right before God. They start following what God has prescribed for them to do. They're singing, they're joyful, there's so many offerings and giving, their sin has been dealt with, God is moving. The story doesn't end there. Verse 23, then the whole assembly agreed together to keep the feast for what? Another seven days. We had not had enough of God. Let's do it again. These people were so moved in their heart that enough wasn't enough, if you catch my drift. Let's do it again. So they kept it for another seven days with gladness. For Hezekiah, king of Judah, gave the assembly a thousand bulls, 7,000 sheep, all these animals. Verse 25, and the whole assembly of Judah and the priests of the Levites and the whole assembly came out of Israel. And the sojourners who came out of the land of Israel and the sojourners who lived in Judah, they rejoiced. Verse 26, hear this. So there was great joy in Jerusalem. For since the time of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, there had been nothing like this in Jerusalem. Then the priests, the Levites arose, they blessed the people, their voice was heard, and their prayer came to his holy habitation in heaven. The pool is ready for swimming. And I can't wait for Monday and some of the neighborhood friends come over and they'll be jumping in and swimming, splashing water doing flips, enjoying 
what we have made to be a great joy. The design for the pool in the backyard was for joy. And now it can happen because reformation, transformation has happened. Y'all probably don't want to come swim at my house, I know. But this is bigger than a swimming pool. This is spiritual. And so, friend, if you're here today, Jesus has made you for a purpose. He's made you for joy. You are His. Walk through the biblical practice of reformation in your life. Be transformed from a neglected place in your life where you know you're not right. Walk into, through the process of being made right and come and be what God has made you to be. You can be spiritually made right. God has provided the path for you through His Son. Will you repent of your sin? Trust in Jesus Christ the Lord and enter into the kingdom of heaven that God has created to bring great joy in your life. Let's pray together. Father, help us. Help us walk through the door. Help us walk down the path and do those things to be right in your eyes. Lord, draw us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.